0: Good morning. Uh, welcome to chapel on this uh, beautiful morning. We're still kind of all groggy and, and dealing with the time change. And so uh, hopefully this uh, 60 degree weather will, will help that out. Uh, hey, a, a few announcements for today. Um, if you didn't see, there's, we're, we're going to play some kickball tonight. So 9 p.m. tonight on the field. If you want to play some kickball, come on out there. Um, a couple, there's a ton happening tomorrow night on campus know that uh, one of the greatest things about being part of an academic community is you get to hear from some some great people throughout your time here. And and this week, if you've been around this week, we, we've brought on a number of people onto campus. One on Saturday well, for Convergence, we had Herb Bailey join us. Tomorrow night, we're having two different uh, two different guests uh, join us, one through GVALS. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren is going to be on GVAL 7 p.m. tomorrow night. If you have not read any of her books, Books or don't know much about her. She had in 2018 Christianity Today's Book of the Year, right? It, it was a book to talk about how do we live out the day to day life as a believer. Um, tomorrow she's going to talk about her new book called Prayer in the Night and, and this idea of like, hey, where is God when, when really hard things are happening? I don't know about you, but there's some hard things happening around the world. So so, so Tish is going to be with us on Zoom tomorrow night. Sign up for that through the GVAL series, and uh, you'll be blessed. She's been a speaker. If you've been to uh, CCO's Jubilee Conference, she's spoken uh, on the main stage the last two years there. And uh, her her talk uh, last year was uh, just blew my mind. Um, and then at 8.15 tomorrow night, Student Min is hosting... Uh, uh, the chaplain for the Steelers is going to come and speak tomorrow night, 8-15 uh, in John White Chapel. So we've got some great, great people lined up come, come out. But you know what? We also have the men's basketball team playing tomorrow night, so support them as well. So there's a ton. Listen, so, so if you're not in class tomorrow um, and you're not, not studying for a test, go support one of these great, great things going on on campus um, tomorrow night. Hey, two events I want to let you know that are coming up. Um, One is typically during spring break, we host these things called Quest Trips, where we go all over the country and we we learn about those places and kind of dive into them. And we decided this year, of course, without spring break, to to do these mini summits. So this month and next month, we're going to do a couple local trips um, where we actually sleep on campus, but we go learn from a few people in the community. So um, not Not this weekend, but next weekend, we're going to be looking at this whole idea of a theology of place here in Beaver Falls and learning from those around us here in Beaver Falls. If that's something you're interested in, the cost is $25, um, which covers all your food for the weekend, et cetera. But you'll sleep here, and you'll spend time in the city with some of the leaders in the city. So know that's happening next weekend. Uh, And then next Wednesday night, so Thursday next week's one of those day-off days. Uh, Student government has rented out Flying Squirrel Trampoline Park next Wednesday night for students. We've got 130 spots. 50 of those are taken already. Um, So we've got the whole place to ourselves um, and and be able to go from there. If you're interested in that, sign up. Geneva.edu student events uh, has the link for you to sign up, or you can go onto Operu and sign up. Hey, listen, enjoy the weather, enjoy your friends, dive in deep and and let's uh let's really spend this the, the last six weeks um really really just figuring out what does it learn to love God and to love each other well uh let's set our hearts on chapel.
1: Well, good morning to you. Welcome to chapel. Dr. Tropp today is bringing us John chapter four. It's a very rich interaction between Jesus and we know her as the woman at the well, an individual who desperately needs saving like all of us. In one aspect of this conversation, Jesus offers himself as living water. That made me think of Psalm 36, this image of living water, Um, Uh, Psalm 36 refers to the fountain of life. What does it mean if we look to Jesus, not just as complete satisfaction, but abundance of life? This portion of the psalm begins talking about his love and his faithfulness and his righteousness. What does it look like if we truly trust this aspect of the character of God? If this is really where we place our hope. Life becomes very full indeed. So let's read this portion of Psalm 36 together. If you are able, would you please stand? Let's read together. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Amen. You may be seated. It's one of my favorite psalms. We're also going to experience musically Psalm One thirty nine in this conversation with the woman at the well, Jesus reveals his knowledge of her aspects of of her life that no normal average human being would or should know. This is jarring to her. Right. And yet it's after this point that this is what convinces her that he truly is the Messiah. She believes his claims because he knows her. She is completely transparent to him. Uh, Psalm 139 is a great choice. David here explores how God knows David intimately, more than David knows himself. So much so that by the end of the psalm, he is calling on God, search me, examine me, know me. I'm still somewhat mystified by this. Maybe mystified is the wrong word. I'm not sure. But it seems to me that either... David doesn't truly understand the holiness of God. Or David doesn't truly understand what a sinner he is. But I don't think either of those is true. David seems to understand these things. Or the third option, as it seems to me, is that David looks to Jesus as his, the Lord as his examiner, but he also sees his examiner as the only one who can save. The one who judges him is also the one who saves. So it's with great confidence and great comfort that david is so transparent and so known by the lord so with that in mind let's experience portions of psalm 139 together lord, you have
2: Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead, buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven As a community, to praise you and thank you for the endless blessings that you have bestowed upon our campus. We are not worthy of your blessings as a broken people. We are grateful to have this opportunity to come before you. Father, we have so much to be thankful for during this time of uncertainty and challenge. Lord, it was exactly one year ago today when students were packing their bags going home because of something called COVID 19. We remember the fear, we remember the disappointment, we remember the anger and we remember all the questions about what was to come. While this pandemic came as a surprise to us, Lord, it did not come to a surprise as you. You placed this challenge before us, like others in this world, as an opportunity to draw closer to you. Through all the discussions and planning and worrying and uncertainty, Lord, you showed your love and you showed us your compassion and gave us all direction to move forward. Father God, you've protected this community in a way that helped us get through the first semester. And you are once again showing your mercy in this community through this semester. Lord, you have taught us nothing to come between us for those that have faith in you. Father God, we've been truly blessed as a community. We have also faced heartache and pain during these past many months. There's pain and suffering around the world, within this country, within this region, and within this Geneva family. Each of us has suffered in some way during this past year whether it be through sickness or death, disappointment or frustration, it has been a difficult time for many. Father, we are so grateful to have you bear our burdens, Lord, because we simply cannot bear them alone. Father, we come before you today with concerns within our Geneva community. Lord, we lift up Dr. Watt and his family and the loss of his mom this past week. Father, we lift up up Dr. Stevens and her family and the loss of her dad. Father God, wrap your arms around our brother and sister in Christ in this time of their sadness and loss. Much like so many have lost, we ask you to surround them with friends and family that can support them in coming weeks and months ahead. Father God, we thank you for the life of our former Geneva president, Dr. Jack White. We know you prepared a place for this amazing man of God as you welcomed him home last week. Those of us that knew Jack on a personal level have a true understanding of the impact that this man made on the entire generation of students, staff, and faculty at Geneva College. Father, we ask your blessing on his wife, Mary, his entire family as they grieve his loss. But Father, what an incredible example he was to all of us who knew him. Serve as we opened your arms and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray for all the unspoken burdens and requests that people within our midst are carrying with them. Lord, you know the struggles that each of us hold, so I ask now that you release those burdens that you seek to give a special blessing to those who are facing challenges today and throughout this week. Father, we praise you once again for this time to come before you. We ask you to be with Dr. Troup as he presents your word to our chapel community. Lord, I ask his words resonate with our students and that hearts be softened and that those that are seeking a relationship with you will find the strength and courage through this message. Dear God, we thank you for all that you are doing in our lives and for all that we are learning through you. And now, Father, let us pray the prayer that indeed you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
3: Our reading is from Jeremiah 17, verses 7 to 13. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when he comes, for for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. Like a partridge that gathers a brood that she does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at the end he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the sanctuary, from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. This is the word of the Lord.
4: Happy St. Patrick's Day. It's good to be with you today. And um, and what I want to do is um, this morning, I'd like to start with prayer. And then ha- I have a couple of introductory remarks, and then we'll read the scriptures together and see what the Lord has for us this morning. So please pray with me. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask... That you might open our hearts and minds, give us ready ears to hear your voice today from your word. That we might experience the blessing that you have given to us already in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, some of you will remember how much I like like there I was stories. Um, and I have one for you this morning. Um. There I was in the Allegheny General Hospital trauma unit. Uh, I was a mess. I could only see out of one eye at this point, and I was heavily medicated. Okay, so um, so I'm lying there in the trauma unit. And there's nothing else for me to do. I got all kinds of tubes coming out and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and um, at this point. Not many people were allowed to come and see me, but pastors did, and so I. Uh, there were close family members and a couple of really close friends, and then sort of a parade of pastors uh, who who were coming to see me, and they'd come and they'd pray for me. And so uh, this one pastor came in, and someone I knew really well, and I, I'm 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 lying there, and I've just gotten a shot of morphine. Now we have some nurses. Uh, and medical people here, and you know now that you can kind of get microbursts of morphine. If you really have a lot of pain, they, they give you a little button you can press, and it'll give you a little morphine and never too much, okay? Um, I'm old. They didn't have that technology yet. And so I was allowed to get a shot, and, and I'd get a shot through my IV tube, um, and, and I could only have one every three hours. Like if I had more than that, I would have died. So they, they give me a shot every three hours, and it would hold me for about an hour and a half, and then I'd be in pain for a while until I got another shot. Well, I had just had a shot. So I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> like when you get morphine through your IV tube, your whole body gets warm, and you're like, ah, I can understand why this is addictive. And then the pastor comes in. So the pastor comes in, and this is ancient history, but had on a really preppy tie. And what that meant was uh, uh, prepsters had a lot of ties that had little animals on them, okay? And this pastor happened to have uh, uh, a tie that had ducks on it, And this is a grave situation. Hospital situations are kind of funny this way. It's it's very serious. And and people didn't know what was going to happen to me. And so pastors would come in, and they'd pray these deep prayers, which I was very thankful for, by the way. Um, and, and so he was starting to pray, and he was good at it. You know you know people that if you're in church and a certain person gets up to pray, you say, thank the Lord, because this person really knows how to pray. So, that, so he got up there, good prayer, and all of a sudden I'm looking out of my one good eye, and the ducks start to fly. Very serious moment, trying to be respectful, and I'm having a hard time not laughing. It was Jack White, who had been my Bible professor, and who was the dean of religious services at the time, and whose prayers were effectual because of how much he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And we miss him. Um, but his heart. For the gospel was enormous. And he preached uh, the sermon at my wedding, and I remember a little bit of it. Uh, I was a little overwhelmed by Mrs. Trout that day, and so I will confess that I didn't remember all of it. But his text was about the ten virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom who was away to come back. And, of course, he always preached the gospel. And so what he was concerned that we consider was not that this was just a wedding story, but that weddings point to the great and glorious wedding feast of the Lamb in the new heaven and the new earth. And that what we were doing in that moment was just a little tiny picture of what we will all experience in Christ's presence. I remember saying, behold, the bridegroom is coming. So um, we are going to be looking at a very common and important text of scripture today that also ties very closely to the gospel. And I want you to know before we get into it that there are some customary treatments of what's uh, customarily talked about as the woman at the well. Uh, first of all, as we read it, you will hear this. Uh, it's often used by people as a case study. So you can use this text and you can read it as a case study. It's a Samaritan woman. She's not supposed to be talking to Jesus. She knows it. It's in the middle of the day at noon, which indicates that, uh, that there are problems in her relationship. She doesn't want to be there with other people, and, and that's a significant thing. I've heard, heard that preached well, and, and it's important. Uh, it's also used as a case study to talk about um, the the common issue of sexual immorality and about Jesus engaging her about that, and that is also in the text and appropriate. Uh, it can also be talked about in terms of the disciples' own prejudices and biases towards a Samaritan woman and and uh, the problems that they have. Um, but our purpose today. Uh, with the theme of chapel is not to overlook those things, but to focus rather on what this text opens up for us in reference to knowing God as he is and knowing God for who he is. And um, and so we want to focus today on the conversation uh, in John 4, and I'm going to read that now in your hearing, We're going to focus on this conversation. And the question I want you to be thinking about is. How does Jesus converse. With people like us. How does Jesus converse. With people. Like us. So let's read this passage of scripture. I never tire, as my pastor always says, I never tire of reminding you that this is God's inerrant and infallible word. It's completely reliable because Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are completely faithful and true all the time from all eternity. So this is completely reliable for us, and I'm going to be reading Uh, Verses seven to 20 and then a little beyond that, Uh, there was there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus is already at the well at this point. Um, And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. To eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her. I who speak to you, am he. We'll stop the reading at that point. Uh, I reserve the right to make some reference to. uh, Later parts in the story, but. The first thing I want you to think about that we encounter in the text is thirst. And Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is thirsty at midday. He gets there first. Now, I don't know how many of you have a water bottle. If you do, I want you to know where it is, but don't get it. Okay? I want you to think about that water that you have with you. I want you to miss it a little bit. I'm not supposed to drink it now. Can you feel it? We're supposed to be hydrating, aren't we? Isn't it okay? And if you don't have a water bottle with you or something to drink, that's okay too. But I want you to think about this with me. Um, when and where have you been really thirsty? When and where have you been really thirsty and if you've been really thirsty you'll be able to remember when and where right one or two or three times in your life that you've been really thirsty and it would be no surprise to you to know that one of the places and times that i've been thirsty is right here on campus at reeves field one time in summer football camp i lost 10 pounds in one practice We were ancient and didn't have the technology you all have, but we had to weigh in uh, before and after practice in summer camp. I gained eight back at at Alex's after practice. Um, um, And um, uh, so I I doubt if that's happened to most people, um, but I was big enough at the time that losing 10 pounds was not a huge percentage of my body weight. Um, So that would be one day. The, The second place when I can remember really being thirsty was the story I told you about being in the hospital because of my condition? I wasn't allowed to drink. I was allowed to have ice chips. And I want to tell you how unsatisfying ice chips can be in the third week of ice chips. The first day, it's kind of cool. Oh, I got ice chips. And then you want a real drink and you, you want to guzzle it. You know, you want to guzzle some water. Thirst is part of the human condition. And when we're that kind of thirsty, we want water. We want water. We don't want uh, a Diet Coke with Dr. Stevens. We want water. And what that tells us is this sense of longing. That the scripture is talking about here when it talks about thirst. And what I want you to notice here is that here's this woman. They're having a conversation about water. Jesus is thirsty. She understands that they're having this conversation. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes spiritual on her. Jesus goes spiritual. Anyone ever done that to you? I thought we were here just having a conversation about the well and the water, and I'm a little uncomfortable about you even talking to me. You're a man. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. I'm really not comfortable. And then he goes spiritual. And he starts talking about living water and eternal water. And I want you to pick up the conversation. Because as I was reading it, you can hear it. It's he said, she said, he said, she said. This is a real dialogue. And being in a one-on-one dialogue with someone and this happening is not entirely comfortable, just to start with. It's not an entirely comfortable situation for someone to go spiritual on you. Like, I'm not going spiritual on you right now. This is chapel. You expect it, right? But you don't expect that in every time and conversation that you have, especially with a stranger. So Jesus starts to ask ultimate questions and talk about ultimate issues, eternal life. And the woman goes along with him in the conversation. So the woman essentially says, yes, I would like to have this living water. How can I get it? And then Jesus raises the issue. In fact, Jesus forces the issue. He says, go call your husband. This is a Psalm 139 moment. It's unnerving to have a conversation with someone who you don't know, but who knows you all the way down. All the details of our lives, everything about us. What we're going to say in response, Psalm Psalm 139 says, what I'm going to say before I say it, the Lord Jesus Christ knows that. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about this issue. And I want to get personal. Because none of us have a place from which to criticize the woman. There is not a place available to us to say tisk, tisk to her sins because we're all sinners. We all bear sin. So let me ask you a question, and for those of you that are here, please don't shout out answers. This is personal. So what are the kinds of sins that you've settled with? Because this woman had settled with this set of sins. She was living in them. And we have this nasty little characteristic of thinking that living in sin always has a sexual connotation. That is not what Jesus is talking about. What sin have you settled in? All of us have these. What are you comfortable with? You can tell. Think about how you talk to yourself, right? We have these conversations with ourselves and we have our excuses. Maybe we think it's not really sin or it's not as bad sin as someone else or. Don't you understand that this is how I am. This is how I am. Jesus forces the issue on us. this is how he converses with us. Now Jesus is gentle and compassionate and will have nothing to do with our sin at the same time what what do we mean when we say Jesus is gentle and meek and compassionate? Uh, I experienced a little of this yesterday. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, I had a root canal about three months ago, and I'm old, and we didn't have the kind of tooth technology that you probably have. This probably never happened to you, so don't worry about it. But I had a root canal, uh, which means they cut off the top of my tooth, and they drilled way down deep in, and cut out. I had med- I had medication, and and they and they and they drill out where the nerve was supposed to be and it's, it's not, you know, it's not pleasant. So I still had a little pain, not like everything worked fine, but I had some pain like up here above the gum line and it didn't go away. I went to my, I went to my normal doc and he says, I want to take some pictures, took pictures and I have the most cheerful dentist in the world. And he looked at the, he looked at the screen and he was not cheerful. He did his best. He was trying to do his best, Mr. Rogers. You know, this is really a good thing. But there was like a dark spot above the tooth. And and he didn't say he didn't even say bone infection, but it was, right? So he said he said, I'm gonna send you to something called an endontist. Which took me a while to learn how to say that. And and so I went yesterday. Dr. Mike. He's very efficient and everything. He takes pictures. He said, well, i want to do this instead of that. I said, he said, uh, we're going to have to do another root canal. Like, I didn't even know that's possible, that you could have two root canals on the same tooth. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, we do that. He said, okay. He said, do you want to do it now? I said, fine, we'll do it now and get it over with. So he starts, he drilled uh, a hole in the crown to get to the roots. And so they start, and he was digging, he was drilling really deep, like, you know how you're lying there in the chair and you're kind of watching and you could see the hand and the drills he was putting on, kept getting longer and skinnier and longer and longer. And, and, but he was completely under control. He was really gentle. Can you feel it in your tooth right now? Can you feel your teeth? So he was really gentle. He did a great job. I think he went twice as deep. I I was afraid he was going to hit my eye or something. And, and, But he was compassionate and he was thoughtful and he was careful and he was getting the disease and the corruption out. What sin has settled in in our lives? If we have a conversation with the Savior, he's going to raise it. Can you hear his voice today? Is he talking to you about something? I have no idea what's going on. I have a hard time knowing what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I want you to think about what is Jesus contending with you? Can you hear it? Go. Call your husband. This is a broad sweep. This isn't a narrow thing. I'm not asking you if you're involved in sexual sin. Jesus cares about all of it. So I want you to think about what's your sense of Jesus' tone? How do you hear him in this? He's not judgmental. He's already taken care of. And I want you to recognize that Jesus is saving a sinner. Before our very eyes. This woman is already responsive to him. And she doesn't know how. But she says yes I want that. And then he raises the question. And she stays in the conversation. And this is a very interesting conversation. Because this isn't comfortable for us. It certainly isn't comfortable for her. But we're being cared for by the great physician. Not the great dentist, the great physician. And the shepherd of our souls, he is tending to us. So the next thing you have to ask yourself is, this is a short conversation, right, about the husbands and the non-husband? It's very short. If you look at it, it's just a couple verses. How long is it? Between verse 18 and verse 19. Just look at the text. How long is that? This is one of the problems of reading. You know, I'm reading. Right? But this is a real conversation. If you are a film director, how long would you put between verse 18 and 19? Now, I'm going speculative here for all my friends studying theology. I'm making no claim about what the scripture actually teaches. This is, if you ask, how long is there between verse 17 and 18, or 18 and 19? uh, It's the proper thing is to have the Sunday school answer. The church school answer is, the Bible doesn't say. Okay, so I'm not making any points of theology here, but I am telling you, it's worth thinking about this. I would have this conversation at the well, and if I'm the film director... There is a long pause. It's too easy if you read this fast to see this as the woman changing the subject. Oh, this is too uncomfortable. Let's talk about religion. But you have to read the text and think about where she goes. She grants Jesus... The highest honor in terms of spiritual insight available in her culture. By calling him a prophet. There is, to her knowledge, no Jesus yet. So in my imagination, there's a long pause, but it doesn't matter. Because she actually responds to who she can know he is at the time and says, Sir, I discern that you're a prophet. And she asks an important religious question. So you can read this as a distraction. You can read it saying, oh, she's changing the subject, and she's backing into her Sumerian culture, and she... But that's not the only way to read this passage. Can you read this as a sinner being saved by Christ who's responding to the Savior and saying, I don't, you know who I am and I don't know who you are. And you can hear this woman's testimony. Come and hear this man who told me everything I've ever done. She doesn't go out and say, come and see this man, and because I want you to get um, judged too. That's not her language. We've got to keep our head in the text. But it's uncomfortable for her, because Jesus is the Word of God. What do you know about the Word of God? Listen. Listen to what we experience as we converse with Jesus. What we experience is given to us in Hebrews four. Hebrews four. And verses, if you're looking at it, starting with verse 12, for many of you know this verse for the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Of course, it's uncomfortable. And we want to respond like the woman responded. Except that we know Jesus as the Messiah. He's revealed himself to us in power. We can have a kind of confidence that the woman will gain. You can see it, but she doesn't have a full understanding yet. And the point... That Jesus then makes in response to her questions is not be good. His response is worship. Worship. The first thing Jesus does is calls her to worship. She's already under conviction. It's obvious. Come and worship in spirit and truth. Do you sometimes get frustrated by formalism in worship? You know, we have these battles in the broader Christian community. We have these battles uh, 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 at least 10 years ago. They were called the worship wars, right? And you can hear these conversations at Geneva, right? Uh, Are you excited about liturgy or not that interested in liturgy? Are you interested in contemporary work worship or in traditional worship? These are common kinds of things. It's easy to lay the charge uh, at someone else, a formalist, but if you're anti formalist, you're still working in the category of formalism. And Jesus says, No, no, it's not about which mountain you worship at. In me, God is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. I'll take care of the sin, I will take care of the sin, and you will change. Why? First great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I really dislike... This one sports metaphor. I don't know where else this happens. I hear it occasionally. But what happens is when a sports team is kind of on the rocks, they should be great. This happens to my team's occasionally. They, they should be great. And then the sports caster will say, you know, they come back and they get a win. And they'll say they had a come to Jesus meeting. They had a come to Jesus meeting. You know what that means? That means they all got in the locker room without the coach. Coach Zanuck's here with us. About the coach. coach is not there. And they kind of, they sometimes they yell at each other. Somebody gets up and gives speeches. They say, this is not who we are, right? That is not a come to Jesus meeting. If you want to understand come to Jesus, listen to the woman. Now, I want you to remember this. Jesus said to her, go. And bring your husband. And she does. She goes back to her village from the well. And she says to people, come. And hear this man. Who has told me everything about myself. And listen to him. And they do. How much do you want to bet? This is speculative. How much do you want to bet that her partner came? That she brought him first. The man she loved and was living with. And then their testimony is not, well, that was great. We came out and... No, they came out and they believed. Because they came to Jesus. That's the call on our lives. And whether we have come to Jesus or need to come to Jesus for the first time, doesn't matter. What we need to do is embrace the fact that Christ, who reveals himself to us in his word, loves us deeply. The conversations we have with him are conversations that he initiates and that he will force the issue. And he will have none of our sin. But his dealing with us in our sin is not that we'll make a good impression on others, but that we'll be able to bring people to him and bring people to Jesus. Because it's an eternal gospel. It's an eternal life. It quenches thirst eternally. He does. He does the work. It's his heart and soul. It's his sacrifice on the cross that already paid the penalty for this woman and for us. And he is in the business of bringing us to himself. Let's come to him together. Please pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. You are great beyond our understanding. You're majestic. Your works. Of love towards us are deeper and higher and wider than we can comprehend. But Lord Jesus, you have come to us. And you have called us. You alone can cleanse us. And heal us. And restore us. That we might worship you rightly. In spirit and truth. This is what we ask that you would do. That you would make us willing and able to walk with you. Please, Lord, give us your living water. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward